I forgot to share with you through um, at the beginning of the service during the welcome time that we're actually starting a brand new ministry on Thursday nights. Thursday night at 6 o'clock is going to be called Thursday Night Bingo Night at New Hope. We're really excited about this ministry. We're thinking it's going to produce a lot of fellowship in our church family. It's going to produce a lot of revenue for our church. And hey, you know, just be a lot of fun. We'll see that person walk away with $1,500 jackpot each Thursday night. Won't that be a lot of fun? Isn't that exciting? Amen. Some of you really, you better watch out before you said amen. Some of you know I'm kidding, don't you? We're not starting any Thursday night bingos. Let me just make sure. Everybody focus here. Everybody look straight ahead. We're not starting Thursday night bingo. I hope you knew when I was sharing that that I was joking. But unfortunately, that announcement could very well be made in many houses of worship this morning. And it's not just bingo. I just read in the paper not long ago that a local church was having a $10,000 raffle. The article implied that we better hurry and buy our ticket because only 200 tickets were being sold, and each time they had the lottery, the tickets are sold out well in advance of the drawing. And I want to share with you this morning, if you want to know how Jesus feels about that, that his house would be made known for more for a money-making business than a place to meet with him, then take a look at some scripture, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 18. The Bible tells us how Jesus feels about his house being made, uh, made known more for a house of merchandise than a house of worship. But in the case of bingo and raffles, we're not just talking about business, are we? We're talking about a whole different topic. We're talking about gambling, and that's what we need to think about this morning. Now, we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I've been sharing with you that the Bible in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul is talking to a young church. And he's saying to that young church, here's some things I need to talk to you about in your Christian walk. And one of the things that he's trying to emphasize in these chapters we've been looking at is this. The whole world needs to hear about Jesus. There's a wonderful message that God has sent His Son to be our Savior. God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins, to wash our sins away if we just respond to Him and accept Him as our Savior. And the Bible says that for all of us who've accepted Christ as our Savior, the rest of my life is spent with the primary motivation that I want you to see that message through my life. Well, starting last week, we began considering some specific areas in our world today that might keep us from being the most effective that we can be for Christ today. Now, as we turn to gambling, I want to share with you that the Bible doesn't have a whole lot directly to say about gambling. There is a passage in Isaiah chapter 65, verses 8 through 12, where God talks about blessing those who seek Him and judging those who don't seek Him. Now, many people interpret what, it, what they're talking about there, the specific actions that God uses to describing those who don't seek Him as a reference to gambling. This is what it says in Isaiah 65, 11. It says, But you who forsake the Lord, who forget my holy mountain, who led a table, who set a table for fortune, and who fill cups with mixed wine for destiny, I will destine you for the sword. You did evil in my sight and chose that which I did not delight. Now, certainly what it's talking about there pertains to luck, or to chance and us trusting in something other than God for His provision in our lives. Now, in spite of the fact that the Bible doesn't directly talk about gambling a lot, there are still many overarching principles in His Word that we need to think about today. What does God say about this issue called gambling? Now, I want to I help you as we start out here. One of the things we're going to do today, we're not going to a specific passage. Now, we looked at Isaiah 65, and I believe that that may very well be a, result, a, a, a reference that's talking, that's referring to that. But specifically, we want to talk about how to look at God's Word and to pull out principles. 
is everything that we ever come across in our lives going to be completely, specifically spelled out in Scripture? No, it's not. But do the Scriptures contain principles and truth that apply to every area of our life? Yes, they absolutely do. That's what we're going to try to do today. We're going to try to apply the principles of God's Word to a topic that's very much part of our lives, maybe even more than you really realize today. Now, I also need to share something with you as we start. This message is not intended to be a shame-on-you, bad-person message, okay? This message is intended to be, watch out for this. This could be very dangerous for our lives. And it's my responsibility as the under-shepherd of the chief shepherd to say to you, listen, as we're walking this path of the Christian walk, there's going to be opportunities to take detours. Some of those are God saying to us, let's go this way. But many of those, many times, are things that are going to take us off the track of God's best plan for our life. I believe that this issue that we're going to talk about today could very well be, for many of us, for some of us, maybe even sitting here this morning, the odds are that there's somebody here today that's struggling with compulsive gambling yourself. And I want to just say to you, if that is your case this morning, I pray that after you heard the message last week and after you hear the, the message this week, that you know that we're not just some red-faced preaching, you know, this is bad and this is terrible, and if you do this, you know, you're bad and you're terrible. That's not what we're trying to say. We're trying to say, watch out. There's some dangers here. And if you've been caught in that danger, I hope you know there's grace and mercy for you. God wants to rescue, from, rescue you from any bondage that you found yourself in today. Today we're just going to talk about one that's particularly painful to many people's lives. So let's talk about gambling today. Now what's the definition of gambling? One person has said it's an activity in which a person subjects something of value, usually money, to a risk involving a large element of chance in the hopes of winning something of greater value, which is usually more money. Now, I'm sure you realize that to many people, gambling is no big deal. In fact, according to the Barna Research Institute, 61% of Americans believe gambling is morally acceptable. And by the way, 27% of people who believe the exact same things we do believe that gambling is morally acceptable. So that means today that potentially somewhere between 30 to 60% of the people that are listening to this message today believe that there's nothing wrong with what we call gambling. And so that's really where my job is today to answer the question, is gambling really dangerous? Is this something that we need to watch out for in our lives? Let me share some information with you about the United States and gambling. 80% of Americans gamble in some form or fashion. That includes 50% of all who call themselves Christians. 82% of the U.S. favors some sort of legalized gambling. Listen to these stats. Americans spend more each year on gambling than groceries. We gamble about five times as much a year as we spend on toys, and I spend a lot on toys. We spend six and a half times as much money on gambling as we do on spectator sports or trips to theme parks. Gambling expenditures each year exceed the amount spent on films, books, amusements, music entertainment combined with more than $600 billion legally wagered each year in the U.S. Now listen to this statement that one author makes. Gambling fever has swept the country. Gambling is a new national phenomenon. In a short time, legal gambling will surpass all other forms of entertainment in total revenues. We're talking about an issue that's very much a part of our society today, isn't it? Just over a decade ago, only two states permitted casinos. Now at least 48 states have some sort of legalized gambling. 
5% of Americans are compulsive gamblers. That means they're addicted, that they have to do it. That's 12 to 14 million people in our country today are addicted to gambling. Many more are problem gamblers. That means that they're not addicted to it, but it's a serious issue that occupies a lot of thinking in their mind. About two-thirds of teenagers gamble. In Massachusetts, 47% of 7th graders and 75% of high schoolers have played the lottery. A study in Michigan found that 45% of college football and basketball players gamble on sports, with more than 5% admitting to shaving points, leaking inside information, or betting on their own games. In Nevada, which is considered the, the capital of gambling in the United States, the crime rate is two times the national average. The suicide rate is three times the national average. Now, I could go on and on with stats, but I'm hoping that you begin to see the picture here that we've got a problem. We love gambling, and it's having a huge impact on our nation. And by the way, it's not just across America somewhere, is it? Have you noticed in the paper lately that just down the road in Saratoga Springs, I mean, if you get the post-star like I do, you'd think the president's been coming. Because every day, I'm not kidding, almost every day in the paper, we find out some update on what's going on at the Saratoga Gaming and Raceway. It just opened for business January 28th. And according to these reports, the facility is a 55,000 square foot building. That's three times bigger than the floor of the Glens Falls Civic Center. It costs $15 million to build. It features over 1,300 video slot machines, any kind you want to play. It'll be open from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m., seven days a week, so you still got time after church to go. It costs a penny to $10 a day, to, to, or $10 to play all the games. It's got a food court, a gift shop, service desk for your coats, valet parking, all kinds of games. My favorite one's winning for dummies. I think that's pretty close. On opening day, by 3 p.m., 5,000 people had passed through the doors, and they were predicting 10,000 people by the end of the day. According to the Raceways officials, it's going to bring jobs, it's going to bring money, it's going to help expand the racetrack season, and apparently our governor's so excited about it, he says, listen, we need to just take gambling all across the state. He wants to add more of them across the state of New York. In fact, the implication in the articles that I was reading was that maybe even Washington County or, or Lake George, another resort, a resort area. Why shouldn't it have gambling? Why shouldn't it have its own casino? And I have to be honest with you. I hesitated to look at the news reports the first few days it came out. I hesitated to look at the pictures in the paper and to see the people waving on the camera because I was afraid that I might accidentally see somebody from New Hope waving and saying, hey, it's a great day at the Saratoga Gaming and Raceway. <laughs> Americans, we're infatuated with gambling, and it's something that we need to talk about today. So let's look at gambling today. Let's think about it in terms of really two overarching principles that I want to think about with you today. Gambling as a potential pitfall for Christians today. Let's talk about, first of all, God's view of money. Let's talk about how God approaches money. How does God see money? How it ought to be acquired? How it ought to be used? I've been told that Jesus had more to say about money and material possessions than any other topic, even more than heaven and hell. Matthew 22, verse 37 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We're to love God with all that we are. We're even to love God, or even especially more than money. In fact, the Bible kind of highlights the fact that sometimes money can really grab our attention more than anything else. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, the Bible, Jesus says, you cannot serve God and wealth. You cannot serve God in material possessions. You cannot serve God in money. The Bible makes it clear that when we're talking about the, the things that we're going to give our life to, that one of the most challenging things that, that grabs our attention is material possessions. Would you agree with me? Would you say today that one of the things that you see most of the people, including maybe in our own lives, that challenge us the most is the desire to have more in our lives? So let's think about how God's Word deals with money. Number one, money should be acquired credibly according to God's Word. Throughout God's Word, the principle of a good work ethic is established. Now, Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, it says this, Proverbs 13 and 11 says, Wealth obtained by fraud, or that word actually means vanity or by empty means. Wealth obtained by empty means dwindles. But the, the one who gathers by labor or by working with his hands increases it. So he says when we gather by some means it's easy, by some means it's kind of empty, that, it's, that it comes with a promise, but a promise that it can't keep, that dwindles. But when we work for our money, that's when we see increase. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 28 it says, he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with someone who is in need. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, For even while we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. The Bible says that we need to work for our money. The normal, expected credible way to have our needs met to acquire wealth the bible says is to work for it for industry to happen for business and productivity to take place a person does a job now listen what happens is a person does a job the person they work for receives a benefit of them having done that job the person doing the job receives a benefit or a payment for doing that job it's designed to be a what a win win situation that's the normal credible way we should expect to acquire money even the stock market involves one person taking their money giving it to another person to participate in building and growing and doing business that business profits and the investor receives profits so it's designed to be a win-win situation now it may not always be <laughs> you might say well i wish mine was win-win but that it's designed to be a win-win situation you're investing in business and industry and and you receive profit off that industry and that business. When you gamble, though, at least two people are hoping that they can get money quicker or easier than working for it. And they're hoping, now listen to this, and I think this is the key to thinking about gambling, they're hoping that the other person becomes a loser while they become a winner. At the best, gambling is a win-lose situation. Gambling is designed to produce losers. Have you ever thought about that? It's designed that one person might win and many people end up losers. So money should be acquired according to God credibly, but also, the Bible says, it should be used wisely. We might ask, is gambling a good use of God's resources? Now I want you to understand something. The issue with gambling is not taking a risk. Did you know the Bible is all about risk? 
I mean, I want you to think about following Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to step out of the boat. I want you to say, you know what? I don't care what everybody else is doing. I know I'm putting my life on the line here. I'm going to step out to the edge of the limb, and I don't care if somebody cuts it off. I know that God's going to take care of me. I'm walking by faith. I'm taking the most incredible risk that anybody could ever take, and that is walking with God because I know that it's based upon the promises of God, and I can trust Him. Amen? The Bible is all for risk. In fact... The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, without taking a risk and trusting God to see something that we don't see, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, that he exists, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Following God is a walk of faith. To some degree, the Bible encourages risk. In fact, if you look at Matthew chapter 25, verses 24 through 28, Jesus actually rebukes someone who plays it safe in life. Matthew 25, verses 24 through 28, it's the parable of the talents. And there was a guy that had one talent, and he said, Master, you know, I just kind of took your talent, and I, I dug a little hole over here, and I, and I hid it in the ground, because, you know, I knew that, you know, you like your stuff, and you wanted to have it back. And he said, listen, if you knew that I reap where I do not sow, and I gather where I didn't scatter, then you ought to put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. You should have invested what I gave you. You should have taken a risk with that money and invested it in something that could have gained money back. My friends, the Bible is all about you taking a risk. It's about you taking the risk of laying your life on the line and saying, Dear Jesus, I give my heart to you. It's a risk in the eyes of the world, but I know that it's really no risk at all, is it? Because it's based upon God's unfailing promises. It's not based on chance. It's not based on terrible odds like gambling is many times. Let's take Texas as an example. You have a 1 in 6,000 chance of being hit in a car accident or being in a car accident. You have a 1 in 500,000 of being in an airplane crash. But in Texas, you have a 1 in 16 million chance of winning the lottery. I've heard that you, that you have a 6 to 7 times chance, greater chance of being struck by lightning than winning the lottery. One author has said this, if a person spent $50 a month on lotto tickets for 20 years, they would suffer a loss of $20,000. But if that same amount were invested at 10% interest over 20 years, that person would have more than they put in, around $34,000. Gambling is not a wise use of the resources that God has entrusted in us. God does want us to take a risk. God does want us to invest, but gambling is not an investment. It's a chance taken on terrible odds. Also, in regards to how God views money, the Bible tells us that we should not be seduced by it. We should not be drawn in by it. There's something about money that draws us in. The next time you play, the next time you gamble, I want you to ask yourself this question. Why am I playing a game that involves gambling? Why the lottery? Why the slots? Why this poker game? Now, obviously, many people would say, well, we're just playing to have fun. I just want to have fun. You know, can't somebody have fun? But if it's fun that I want, why am I playing this game? If it's just for fun, why do I have to have money involved? Could it be that deep in my heart, there is a desire to want more money? Isn't there a hope that I win those millions. And the Bible says we need to be careful about that. There's a seductive power about money that the Bible warns us about. Let me read that to you out of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. It says, But godliness 
is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. The Bible tells us a principle of contentment. God says, I have provided for you. You seek me and you trust me and I will provide for you and you be content with what I provide for you. He says, for we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul behind it? No, you can't take it with you, can you? If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those, now listen, this is the point. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. It's not money that's the root of all sorts of evil. What is it? It's the love of money that is the root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with, with many griefs. Now, verse 11 starts a passage that's very meaningful to me. Actually, a man of God sat down with me when I first started out in ministry. And he said, I want you to read uh, 1 Timothy 6, verses 11 and following. And he told me, this is something I want you to think about as a young man of God. These are the things you're to pursue in life. He says, flee those things. Run from those kind of desires. Get away from that kind of stuff, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. The Bible warns us about the seduction of money. Jesus talked about it as much or more than any other topic. He knew that we'd have a struggle with greed, with saying, I'm content with what God has given me now. No, we as Americans, we want more, don't we? He knew that we'd struggle with the issue of covetousness. The Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments that we should not covet what's our neighbor's. I see something someone else has, and I want it. I want what they've got. And we've got to trust God. Jesus encouraged us to trust Him. Matthew 6, 33, He says, But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Do things the way He wants us to do them in life. He says, Trust me for the process that I've put into place for you to have all your needs met, and all these things will be added to you. My friends, God is trying to tell us, I want to give you peace. I want to give you contentment in your heart. All you really need is me. Will you trust me to provide for your needs? Will you be careful about the seductive power of money? Money can lead us astray. That's what God's Word says about money. But let's think about a second principle. Not just what God says about money, but let's think about our love for other people. And this is something I tell you, as I, I, just, I just prepared for this message, it just amazed me some of the things that I found out. But God just really put on my heart the issue of loving other people, and does that apply when I'm involved in a gambling situation? Let's think about it. The Bible says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39, that not only are we to love God, but we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to, we're to live a life that reflects that I care just as much about you as I do about myself. Now, I want to challenge you to think about some things here. Can I participate in something that from several different angles does not at all show love for my neighbor? Let's think, first of all, about the larger impact of gambling. It blew me away as I prepared for this message. I was overwhelmed at the information that I found about the destructive force of gambling upon our country. I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize all that was involved in our country today. Right now, we're right in the middle of a gambling wave. And if you want to look at some of the resources, I, I could have quoted statistics. I could have scared you to death with all the things that are happening involving the topic of gambling. There's much evidence that indicates that, that gambling is a terrible, destructive force and that it's an insidious form of overtaxing the poor, many times sponsored by the government. 
Now listen to these facts. It's been well documented that the poor spend a higher percentage of their income on gambling than the affluent. In New Jersey, one-third of families with less than $10,000 income spend one-fifth of their income on the lottery. In New York, 70% of the people who play are poor or minorities. And the government has noticed that and even targeted them at times. The Boston Globe has documented how the lottery in Massachusetts saturates poorer neighborhoods more than the affluent ones. One economically struggling community had one lottery retailer for every 363 residents, while another more prosperous one had one lottery retailer for every 3,657 res residents. There was an Illinois lottery billboard in Chicago in a, in a ghetto that read this, This could be your ticket out. Oh, this could be my ticket out. One in 16 million chance that I could get out of here. In other words, there's a large amount of evidence that lotteries are an exploitation of the poor who see them as an investment opportunity since they don't have the money to invest in other more sound ways and they put much more hope in them because of their economic hardship and their desire to have better. But the reality is very few win and very many lose. And as I said now, it's being sponsored by the government. You even give the impression that it's patriotic to gamble. I mean, it builds schools, and it lowers taxes, and it makes dreams come true. You see the commercials, and you just want to light a candle and drink a Coke. <laughs> now, the reality is, it may in fact produce some good short-term results. But most lottery revenues account for less than 5% of the budget of the states that have them. Of the states that apply lottery money to schools, even the best of them, the lottery money only pays for 10 to 12 days out of a 180-day schedule. And by the way, even if something does accomplish good, does the end justify the means? And by the way, just if we might say, well, I can't help it if the poor are dumb and they want to spend their money on that. Just because somebody makes a poor decision, does that mean that we ought to have something in place that would take advantage of those poor decisions? Somebody has said lotteries are adopted by politicians who lack the will to tax the people. It's politically easy to create a lottery. It's a simple way to raise more revenue without being seen as bad by raising taxes. States are even studying how to get people more hooked on lotteries. A Maryland audit proposed this. They proposed research into what game is most effective in luring an individual into playing for the first time. I want you to think about this. One columnist said this. He said, traditionally, one of the legitimate roles, and this is supported by Scripture, one of the legitimate roles of a Republican form of government is to protect the citizens against harm, to promote the general welfare of the people. But state governments seem to be re redefining that role to one of how do we separate the sucker from his money. Is that what our government ought to be doing? Luring people in, tempting people in, just for an easy buck, just so we don't have to raise taxes. And there's a large body of evidence that shows it takes more to clean up the mess than it would to lure people in. Should we say to Saratoga, watch out? Here's what you got coming. Go study Nevada. Go see the effects of gambling long term. Ask the person on the street. Go inside of a casino and see how happy people are there. 
One area that we haven't even touched on is the Native American Indians. I'll just be honest with you. I believe that we've taken advantage of the American Indians. Now, again, part of that's their decision. I mean, you make a choice to, to have something involved in your life, but I believe that we as a country have taken advantage of some of the special privileges we've given them, that we've afforded them, and maybe rightfully so, but we've taken advantage of that because they could have casinos and now we're making money off of them and hurting their culture. Do I want to support such a devastating, exploitive industry? You might say, Robbie, but I only play the small-time stuff. You might be the one that keeps them going. Studies show that small bettors, low rollers, if that's what you call them, are what keeps the gambling operations going. Do you want your $1 to go towards the profits of gambling. Also, thinking about the, the larger scale, not only on the larger scale, but in thinking about caring about other people, how does my participation directly impact others? When I'm involved in gambling, I just want you to think through some of these issues. I never even thought about some of this until I really began to look at what's going on here. How does my participation affect someone else? Well, going back to what I mentioned earlier, the natural result of gambling is I win, you lose. That's the best case scenario for me, right? <laughs> it may be you win, I lose. And usually it's one winner and many losers. And, and sometimes there's not even that. You might go weeks without any winners. So there's a bunch of losers and nobody wins. Do I want to benefit at the expense of so many other people? Do I want to be a part of something that produces so many losers? The Bible teaches the opposite of that. The attitude that I should have is that I, if I want money, that money is to take care of my family and my household and God's family and His household and to share that with other people. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we just read verses 17 through 19. Many people even make the case that gambling is stealing, even though you might say it's by mutual consent. You know, But just because somebody says it's okay for you to steal from me doesn't make stealing right, does it? Just because somebody might be foolish enough to let you take their money doesn't mean that taking it is right. Not to mention the fact of what we've been talking about all through this series together. Is it possible? Let's lay everything else aside. I just want you to know the truth. The Bible says if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Amen? It's not about issues. It's not about topics. And we're talking about some large-scale, big-time things that I, as your pastor, want to say to you, I love you too much to allow you to just blindly go into getting entrapped in something that you may not have the facts about. And I want you to at least have the facts and some principles from God's Word to think about. And you've got to make your own decision. But even if after all that, if we close the service and you said, I don't care, or I don't believe that, or you know, anybody can skew numbers, or whatever, is it possible that me getting involved, not just possible, but is it highly likely that me getting involved in an activity like that might encourage someone else who can't handle it as well as I can? It's clearly documented the addictive powers of gambling. We're an addictive society, and we've got to be careful about anything that would draw someone in to an addiction. And listen to me, let's just bring it back, let's just bring it down to the bottom dollar. I don't want to stand in front of you in line at a gas station and give you any kind of encouragement to waste your money on an industry like this. So I'm just not even going to mess with it. I'm just going to stay away from it. I'm just going to leave it alone. I don't want to give one single person the credibility of that industry. I believe in the power 
of one individual to make a difference to you? I believe that one person can change another person's life. Now, after hearing all this, you might say, Well, Pastor, I didn't really mean to be doing all that. I just wanted to have a little fun. You know what? All things being equal, scratching a little card with a penny. I mean, what's the great harm? I just won a couple of dollars, and now I can't even feel good about that. Just a poker game. I just wanted to play a few dollars, you know, win a few dollars with the boys. It didn't seem all that harmful. Doesn't God want us to enjoy life? This is part of my enjoyment. My friends, I want to share something with you. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I came to give you life. And I came to give you life overflowing. Not life of bondage. Not life of leading someone else into bondage. But life that would free you up to enjoy life to the fullest. And I, I share all this with you today because maybe you hadn't thought about all the ramifications of it. And maybe as a result of hearing that, you'd understand that it's more than just that. There's more to think about than just having fun. God wants to give us legitimate fun, doesn't He? But at the expense of someone else, involving ourselves in an industry that's doing as much damage as gambling has throughout history, I want to challenge you today to consider we're not talking about being legalistic. We're not talking about, you know, I talked about this last week. Legalism says you have to do this, this, and this to be accepted by God. We don't have lists here at New Hope of you have to do this. I'm not going to judge you. If I stand behind you and you buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to leave that between you and God. But I'm just commending to you the reality of the truth of God's Word, some principles that God wants to say, the reality of what's going on in our country. And I want to challenge you to make the decision. Can I, in good conscience, before God, no matter who sees me, participate in this? The Bible says in Romans 14 that if you have a doubt about that, then you better not do it. You better have complete conviction before God that this is perfectly sound before God and before others. If you have complete conviction about that in that way, then praise God. But if you don't have complete conviction that you can participate in something and not hurt God or hurt others, then the Bible says that's sin. Even if the thing that you're doing is not sin. If you feel like it might be and you're struggling with it and yet you're choosing to do that thing, the Bible says you need to make sure you know what's trusting God and what's not. And if it's not in that category of trusting God, you better be careful. No, it's not about making lists. But I tell you what, sometimes pastors and sometimes churches, in an effort not to look legalistic, in an effort not to look um, hard-nosed, don't deal with some real issues. And you know what happens? The Bible says where there is no vision, where there is no word from God, the people perish. Today, can I just share something with you? The message of New Hope is this. God wants you to live. He wants you to live abundantly. He sent His word to tell us the truth about how He does things so that we can have that life. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could enter into that relationship with Him. We could have all our sins washed away. You, you today, you may not struggle one iota with gambling, but there's something in your life right now. There's sin in your heart. There's, there's something standing between you and God, and you know that, and you sense that. And the message today is God wants to set you free. Will you accept His gift? Will you respond to His offer? He gave everything for you. He's wanting you to accept that today.
Many of you today are Christians. You've already accepted Christ's offer of salvation. And God's trying to say, you know what? I want to give you victorious living. I want to give you powerful living. I want to give you a, a life that would be a testimony to others. Here's the better road to travel. Here's the road that follows God, that doesn't get sidetracked in other pursuits, but keeps our focus on loving God and loving others. Is God speaking to your heart today? You know, I really sense that the Lord is speaking to us here at New Hope. He's saying, you know what? The foundation has been laid. Now it's time to move on. God spoke to my heart this week. I didn't plan on sharing this week, but I'll just share it with you. The main person that God spoke to me through in coming to New Hope was Moses. That was the person. God's called him Moses. And, and the foundation laying of our church, God spoke to me about Moses and all that God called to do to call the children of Israel out of Egypt. This week, as I sat down and spent some time in prayer with the Lord, you know where I went? I went to Joshua chapter 1. I hadn't planned on doing that. You know what it said? Moses is dead. Now, Joshua, I want you to move on. Now, I'm just being transparent with you, sharing with you some of what God's doing in my heart. He's saying to me as a pastor, it's time for us to move on. We've built this foundation, but it's time to step it up and to move forward and to get serious about serving Christ in some ways that maybe we've never even done before. And I'm wondering if God's trying to speak to you through me about that. Some of you have been coming for a while. Maybe you've been uh, coming to New Hope for years. And you've never really locked in. You've never made that decision. Some of you right now, I really sense that during our invitation time, that God's speaking to your heart and you're holding on tight. I've done that before. Isn't it frustrating? Isn't it miserable to hold on to your seat, to not let go? It's symbolic of what's going on in our heart today. God's saying to us, whether it's gambling, whether it's alcohol, no matter what it is that we might talk about, have you given everything to me today? I surrender all. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, today I thank you for helping us to work through some difficult topics the last couple of weeks. Lord, I thank you that your word gives us guidance. And I thank you that your spirit lives within us to affirm your truth. And so, Lord, I just trust you to do all the work that needs to be done in people's hearts today. I don't have to convince anybody of anything. I'm not on a soapbox this morning. It's not about what I think, Lord. We don't care about what I think. But to the degree that I've communicated your truth, I pray that it would take root and that it would grow. And Father, right now I'm asking you, I truly believe that you're wanting to take this church family to another step. Somebody here today needs to be a part of that process. They need to make a decision. They've been holding off on accepting Christ as their Savior. And Lord, we just need to share with them. We just need to remind them we're not promised one more day. Today is the day of salvation. If someone is considering giving their heart to you today, Lord, would they, would they take that risk? A risk that's based upon the everlasting foundational promises of your word that will not fade away. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would someone today accept Christ as their Savior? Lord, for this church family, we're growing. We're going through growing pains, learning how to live and to love and to act and to be. Some of what you've been saying the last couple of weeks has been difficult for them. Maybe you've spoken to people about other areas as a result of these messages. 
but somebody needs to make a decision. God, I pray that your spirit would be working right now. I pray that every heart is attentive, not thinking about later this afternoon or next week, but right now, what are you trying to say? God, would you just speak to us? Would you move us to a decision for you? In Jesus' name.